from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thanks for tuning in to Washington Watch. Always great to have you with us. Coming up on this Tuesday edition. Now, they say don't worry. You can still believe as you wish. But if in living out your faith you offend the views sanctioned by the government, you will suffer the consequences. That was Utah Senator Mike Lee on the Senate floor just hours ago trying to stop what will be one of, if not the greatest assault on the First Amendment. The vote is currently underway on the Disrespect for Marriage Act. We'll get the latest from Capitol Hill from FRC's Travis Weber a little later. The House is also preparing to take up the Disrespect for Marriage Act if it is passed in the Senate tonight. And we'll talk with Georgia Congressman Jody Heiss on the next steps in the House. So stick around for that. And President Biden was in Michigan earlier today talking jobs in the economy, telling American companies to invest their profits in America. I continue to call on the producers to invest their record profits in America for Americans. In America, we can do two things at the same time. We can increase production and lower prices for American consumers and businesses in the short term while accelerating our investment and transition to a clean energy future. And we're going to do that. We're doing it. You know, sometimes the administration's words don't match their actions. That message seems to be at odds with the Biden administration's targeted sanctions relief on Venezuela, allowing Chevron to resume drilling for oil that will benefit a socialist dictator. Why is it that President Biden would rather let U.S. companies drill for oil in Venezuela than here in the U.S.? That's uh, not an accurate take uh, on the president's view. Earlier this month, he said no more drilling. There is no more drilling. The president has issued 9,000 permits for drilling on U.S. federal lands, Peter, 9,000 of them being unused. There are plenty of opportunities for oil and gas companies to drill here in the United States. That was White House Coordinator of Strategic Communications, John Kirby, responding to Fox News's Peter Ducey. Now, Peter was exactly right. Do you remember what the president said on the eve of the election in New York? No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. We'll talk about it with former White House economic advisor and now senior fellow at Freedom Works, Stephen Moore, in just a moment. And finally, Dr. Al Mohler joined me yesterday for a discussion on the implications of the Disrespect for Marriage Act and what it would do to religious freedom in America. Well, we continue that conversation today with author and professor of biblical and religious studies at Grove City College, Carl Truman. Well, unfortunately, the lame duck session of Congress continues. It'll continue until the new Congress is sworn in on January the 3rd. Now, this is the period of time between the election and the new Congress. There is little accountability in a lame duck session because many of those voting on these bad policies are leaving Congress and they will never again stand before voters and give an account. So I need your help to stay informed and to be engaged. Text the word duck. That's D-U-C-K to 67742. That's the word duck to 67742. You'll get a link. That way you can stay informed and involved during this lame duck session. Our word for today comes from Isaiah 11, verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, this prophecy speaks of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, but notice that peace flows from the knowledge of the Lord until a person a nation, or the world, 
pursues the knowledge of the Lord, there will be no lasting peace. A home without the knowledge of the Lord will not be a place of peaceful refuge. If a nation rejects the knowledge of the Lord, it is only a matter of time before violence fills the streets. No amount of gun control or enhanced penalties can cancel the invitation to evil created by the rejection of God. When a nation rejects the knowledge of the Holy One, peace will be nothing more than elusive promises made by political leaders. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. President Biden gave a speech in Michigan today at the facility of a semiconductor chip manufacturer. The president claims his economic plan is leading to a manufacturing boom in America, and it is actually growing our economy. Is that true? Joining me now to discuss this and more is economist Stephen Moore. He is a senior fellow at the Freedom Works and co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Stephen, welcome back to the program. Hi, Tony. So is the president's economic plan working? Well, we did have a manufacturing renaissance in America in uh, 2017 and 2018 and 2019 until COVID hit. And that was under Donald Trump with his reduction in regulations on American businesses. And we did the big uh, reduction in the business tax rates, which brought a lot of capital and jobs back to the United States. Remember, Tony, under Trump, the first time in 50 years, we actually had companies moving from Mexico to to Michigan rather than the other way around. Um, Now, we have had a recapturing of manufacturing jobs under Biden, but that's simply the jobs that were lost because of the lockdowns during COVID. We're way below where we should be. And let's not forget, Tony, that you were talking about the uh, energy situation. Those are effectively, you know, blue collar manufacturing jobs in the in the oil patch. And we have a president who has basically declared war on American energy. I love that clip that you played from the White House saying, oh, we have 9000 permits that aren't being taken. The reason that nobody's drilling on those permits is because the Biden administration has basically threatened to kill all of the development. They've, they've created so many environmental regulations against drilling that no one in their right mind would take Biden up on that deal. I call it the, you were talking about disrespect. This is the Disrespect for American Jobs Act. You know, the also, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the administration leaning on the financial industry not to make um, capital available to those in the energy business. Good point, Tony. You're exactly right. This is this ESG trend, which is diverting capital away from our oil and gas and coal industry. And I want to make sure that your viewers understand, I think most of them do, but I don't think people in Washington, D.C. understand this, that about 70 percent of our energy that we use, the the computer that I'm on right now, the the telephones we use, the the, uh, food that we eat, the transportation, it's all derived of energy. And 70% of that pony in America comes from old-fashioned fossil fuels. Those are what really created the industrialization of America. This war on American fossil fuels, I think, is extraordinarily dangerous. And I agree with what you were saying earlier, that it's almost unpatriotic what the president is doing and saying, yes, you can drill in uh, in Venezuela, which is which is headed by a criminal dictator who's a socialist, but you can't drill in Texas and Oklahoma and Alaska. Does that make any sense? Not to me. No. Can you explain that to me? Why, why are we going and propping up a socialist dictator 
when we can be creating jobs, as you talked about, uh, blue-collar, good-paying jobs. I worked in the oil field when I was in high school in Oklahoma, where I grew right. up. Th- this, yeah. is, th- this is good for America in so many different ways. Why? Why would we go to Venezuela? I wish I had a good answer for that, Tony, because it just defies explanation. Now, the Biden administration is saying that this evil regime under Maduro is going to somehow behave itself and it's going to improve its its uh, its human rights by, uh, record as a part of this bargain. Do you believe that, Tony? I mean, this is an well, evil regime. I, no, I don't believe it at all, because I, I didn't believe it, yeah. uh, you know, 25 years ago when they said that about China, right. um, because exactly. we've seen how that played out. Yeah, so th- I think, that, you know, the, the problem with liberals is that they believe what they want to believe, not believe reality, you know? And so the reality is you, you see that these countries always violate these promises. Venezuela has some of the worst uh, human rights uh, violations in the world. I mean, Tony, they are starving to death their own people. My God, that's the greatest human rights violation on the planet right now. So the idea that Maduro is some kind of, is going to, th- this tiger is going to change this type stripes. I, I don't see it happening. And I think this is basically almost a penance that we have to pay for being a rich country. Remember, just a week and a half ago, Biden went to uh, to the Middle East and told these other countries, the United States is going to pay reparations. That's the word he term. We have to pay reparations to the rest of the world for our using fossil fuels. Wait a minute. We provided a half a trillion dollars, Tony, of foreign aid to the rest of the world, and we owe them money? I mean, it's absurd. Yeah, it, 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 it clearly is. It makes no sense. I, I want to go to a another topic that I think could have the president in a bind. He's calling on Congress to block a strike by more than 100,000 union members at the nation's freight railroads, which is set to uh, to take place, I think, on the 9th of December if something if an agreement is not reached. I mean, the president himself, he's the uh, he's the union president. Uh, but now. He knows what this will do to the economy, about $2 billion uh, a blow per day if uh, there is a rail strike. And you may recall, Tony, that about three weeks before the election, he had a big press conference, remember, in front of the White House, uh, in the, I think it was in the Rose Garden, saying, oh, we've reached a deal and this whole problem has been resolved. Well, there was no real deal. It was just to kick the can past the election day. Isn't that suspicious that about a week after the election, all of a sudden this issue Reemerged. I don't think they're really close to a deal. I think it's irresponsible. I mean, look, nobody wants a strike. It's, it would cause havoc for our economy. But on the other hand, you know, why should Congress intervene? I thought the president and uh, Tony uh, and uh, Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, had solved this problem. And here we are six months later uh, during Christmas season when so much packages are sent out and, and uh, there's so much commerce flowing. Uh, it, rail strike would be disaster. But, you know, Marco Rubio put out a good statement today saying, wait a minute, this isn't something, you know, this isn't something Congress should intervene in. This is something that should be the management of the railroads and the workers and the president should try to broker this deal, but not Congress. It looks like that's not going to happen. Um, but of course, this will happen in a lame duck session of Congress. And so the the Democrats, they have uh, control of the House. You know, they don't completely have control of the Senate. But do you think this is something that uh, makes its way through with Republican support? Hard to say. Hard to say. There's going to be, you know, the president basically has put the onus on Congress here. Uh, as I mentioned, Marco Rubio said, well, wait a minute, this may not be, a, this deal might not be fair to the workers. I mean, and remember, Tony, the reason we're seeing this kind of uh, 
labor strife right now and a, and a growing number of strikes is because workers are facing a lot of financial stress because of Biden inflation. Remember, we only had one and a half percent inflation under Trump. Now we got eight and a half percent inflation. That's killing workers' wages. Right. All of this shows us just how fragile our supply chain and our economy is. It does not work unless the American people have confidence in it. And all of these pieces, you know, it's it's the invisible hand that Adam Smith talked about, where all of these pieces just work together because people are pursuing, you know, in part their own interest. But when government gets involved, it just kind of throws everything off kilter. Yeah, and I'll just, you know, add one other point that, you know, we did a study at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity a month or two ago where we showed that none of the people in the Biden administration, very few, uh, most of them do not have any business experience. So they don't know how to deal with a crisis like this. They're just a bunch of left-wing ideologues. They're college professors, they're community activists, they're lawyers. They don't know anything about how to deal with a crisis like this. And it's a dangerous situation for our country right now that we have such poor leadership in Washington. Yeah, it, it would be better if they would just all go home and let the economy run itself. <laughs> uh, Stephen Moore, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. All right, Stephen Moore. Um, you know, it really is. I think the economy, so much stuff would work better without the government intervention. And, of course, top of my list is education. Um, they're destroying our children. Of course, that's a topic for another day. All right, when we come back... Congressman Jody Heiss of Georgia joins us as the Senate moves forward to advance the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. I think it's more of a Disrespect for Marriage Act. Uh, He's going to join us with action steps. You're not finished yet. We've still got work to do. So don't go away. Jody Heiss joins us next. You're on Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. 
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Let me go ahead and give you uh, the Capitol switchboard number because you're going to need it if you're going to weigh in on this so-called Respect for Marriage Act. 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. Right now, the Senate is voting on the third of three amendments offered by Republicans to address the religious liberty issues that arise from this uh, disrespect for marriage act. And then there will be a vote on uh, the actual bill itself. Now, what's very interesting about this is that uh, all three of these amendments right now, it's a Rubio amendment. Prior to this was Lankford amendment. And then there was the Mike Lee amendment. Um, Republicans voted for the amendments, but not the Democrats, not a single Democrat voted for that I'm aware of. Now, I could be mistaken, but as I was watching, having to come into the studio, um, I was watching pretty much to the end of the Langford Amendment, and, and not a single Democrat voted. It's amazing how the Democrats stick together to advance their agenda, but the Republicans, uh, 12 Republicans, breaking off to join the Democrats in this attack on religious freedom. Now, it's been seven years since the Supreme Court's decision to redefine marriage, and we've already seen the damage inflicted by this decision. Look, what's happening in classrooms where children are being indoctrinated with this radical sexual ideology, you cannot sever that from this redefinition of marriage and human sexuality. Look, I I cannot be more clear. The Disrespect for Marriage Act, which codifies the Supreme Court decision into federal law, is an absolute danger to our most fundamental freedoms as Americans, the ability to live out our faith in our public lives, and that includes parents being able to teach their children values that are consistent with biblical truth. Uh, I've had multiple conversations with, uh, with senators and others on the Hill, and uh, I could, mo- could not be more. Um, let, me, let me choose my words carefully here. Um, I, I cannot believe that we have leaders that do not understand the threat that this poses to religious freedom in this country. Uh, I am extremely disappointed in some of these uh, men and women who are advancing this attack. Well, there are some who get it and understand it and have been fighting it. And one of those is joining me now, Congressman Jody Heiss. He serves on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, the House Committee on Natural Resources. He represents Georgia's 10th Congressional District. Congressman Heiss, welcome back to the program. Tony, thanks for having me. Literally just getting off a plane and 
catching up on the latest on this disrespect act that is absolutely horrifying what we're watching right now. I mean, you see it. You see the threat. I mean, this is not uh, theoretical. We've seen this over the last seven years. Why is it that we have some leaders, you know, on Capitol Hill that just do not connect the dots? It is stunning to me to try to connect those dots, and I, I absolutely cannot fathom. I cannot understand what is going through the minds of these individuals who think that it's okay to shred our First Amendment, our constitutionally protected religious liberties, and open the floodgate. I mean, uh, realistically, Tony, this could be the beginning of the end of religious liberties in America. And unfortunately, it is happening on the shoulders of Republicans who are allowing this to take place. And as you mentioned, they, in fact, will vote for the final passage of this horrendous bill. It is thinkable to me. Uh, and in my opinion, none of these individuals should continue serving in the Senate. Well, they certainly shouldn't cons- uh, serve with our support. Uh, and I can I can tell you right now that uh, anyone who supports this measure, knowing now what they know, that this is an attack on religious freedom, they will not enjoy the support of the Family Research Council uh, action or action arm, nor myself in the uh, the, the days, years ahead. That said, Congressman Heiss, this goes back over to the House, where in August, or in June, actually, uh, there were 47 Republicans who voted for this. Now, some of them have since retreated from that, understanding the threat that this poses. But the House is going to have another shot at this. What happens next time? Yeah, you know, I think, the uh, obviously, as you mentioned, the, de- the Democrats stick together. So I fully anticipate the entire Democratic conference will stick together and support this, and therefore it only will take a handful of Republicans to support it, and it will pass the House. I I don't look for anywhere near 47 Republicans to support it this time, but more than likely there will be enough to join forces with the Democrats to see this pass in the House of Representatives as well. Uh, And yeah, you're you're exactly right. Many of those who voted before uh, didn't fully grasp the the horrific measures that are in this bill, and they understand it now. So again, there won't be 47 Republicans support it, but I uh, just knowing what I know of the makeup of our Republican conference, I would anticipate there's going to be enough to pass this. Uh, Joni, let me ask you this because you you've been at this for a while as I have, and you know this is discouraging to a lot of people who have supported men and women for office who only end up being disappointed when they do uh, offer support for measures like this. I mean, you've made this very clear before we've talked about this is a spiritual crisis. Uh, We're facing spiritual problems that cannot be solved by legislation. The days are difficult, and they're going to get more difficult ahead. How should we as Christians be responding? Listen, that's a great question, Tony, and something that you're you're exactly right. I mean, this is so right down my my burden and my heart's cry. Uh, We cannot fix the problems that America is facing with another piece of legislation or throwing another trillion dollars at it. It is spiritual in nature, which requires the body of Christ stand up and engage our culture and our political structure head to head, eye to eye. And that begins in prayer. It, begin, it, it continues at the ballot box. It continues with many 
actually stepping up to the plate to run for office, be it locally, federally, or statewide, whatever it may be. It involves phone calls, letter writing, rallies. It takes being engaged. And by definition, it is impossible to be salt and light without being engaged. And yet we are called to be salt and light. And so this is the hour for the body of Christ to have her finest hour to step up to the plate and be counted. Yeah, it's not time to uh, hang it up and go home. It is time to, uh, to stay faithful to our call to be salt and light. Uh, Jody, hi, it's always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you. And folks, speaking of that, tonight, a special broadcast of Pray, Vote, Stand at 8.30 Eastern Time, a little later than normal as we track the events in the Senate, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. Tune in for that. All right, stick around. The latest on the respect, so-called Respect for Marriage Act next. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. Capital switchboard number 202-224-3121. You can still contact your senators. They are in still wrapping up, uh, still voting on the third of the three Republican amendments, the Rubio amendment. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there's been, uh, there was a, an amendment by Mike Lee, which had a 60 vote threshold because it was ruled non-germane to the actual bill. So it had to have 60 votes to progress. It did get one Democrat vote in support. That was uh, Senator Manchin. The other two, the Lankford amendment and the Rubio amendment, were a simple majority, 51. Of course, no Democrats uh, would risk voting for Langford or Rubio's because it could pass. Now, we'll see. Rubio's is still open. They're still voting on that. But 
it was the Lee Amendment that really addressed all of the religious liberty concerns in this. So here's a, here's a real question for you. Uh, maybe not for you, it's rhetorical for you. That is, those Republicans, all of them, who supported this, uh, supported these uh, three amendments, acknowledging that there's a deficiency in the underlying bill when it comes to the protection of religious freedom. So they all acknowledge that by voting for these amendments, the Lankford Amendment, the Lee Amendment, and the Rubio Amendment. And again, I'm assuming on Rubio because it's still uh, being voted on. But then if any of these 12 turn around and vote for the underlying bill without these fixes on it, what is that saying? Well, joining me now to uh, to give us the latest on this and next steps is Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Travis, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. All right. Uh, what is the latest? Yeah, from the so Hill? as you noted, uh, they're currently voting on the amendments, uh, Senator Rubio's amendments being voted on. We're going to get a, um, a vote on the final bill, um, which is is per the agreement struck as part of this process, a final vote requiring 60 vote uh, votes to pass, which normally is required for cloture, but we're going to see a final passage vote requiring 60 right after these amendments are finished being voted, uh, the votes finished on the amendments. At that point, the bill uh, will have passed or not passed the Senate, make its way to the House. As you note, um, it, it, you know, the senators who are engaged in this process, Tony, cannot hide behind a failed amendment vote to claim they protect religious, they've protected religious liberty by voting for these amendments that are failing and then turn around and vote for that bill, which does not have sufficient religious liberty protections because all three of these amendments would increase the religious liberty protections found in the bill currently, which are deficient uh, protections. And yet uh, I expect, sadly, this process to play out along those lines. But, but at this point, we need to call senators to notice to, to their attention to the fact that they can't support the final bill uh, while at the same time voting for these amendments as they've done. We're, we're currently voting on the amendments now, and uh, after that, there'll be a vote on the final uh, bill. Now, do you find it interesting, Travis, that uh, I go back uh, to when there was discussion of eliminating the legislative filibuster because the president wasn't able to get some of his economic uh, giveaway plans through the, the Senate. But you had two Democratic senators. You had Senator Manchin of West Virginia and Sinema of Arizona who said, no, I'm, I can't support that. They broke with the Democratic Party. And, I mean, they were just pummeled. Uh, they were, I mean, they were treated like lepers. It's interesting that Democrats, they stick together. Rarely do you see them break, and when they do, they pay a tremendous price for that. But here, this bill would not pass. It would not pass. Let me, let me be very, very clear about that. This bill would not pass if it were not for 12 Republicans who have supported it thus far, and we are assuming will suppo- support it on its final passage. Yeah, absolutely. And—, and- they they understand. Let's let's just be clear. There's been no lack of communication about the religious liberty problems with the bill. Senator Lee was very clear in articulating those issues to his colleagues when he circulated a letter outlining why his amendment was necessary to the bill. So every senator is on notice about the deficiencies of the current text. So they can't really say I didn't know. 
uh, what they have to say is, I, I don't believe you. I think the current text protects religious liberty. And there's a lot of flawed arguments flying around right now about how it, it protects religious liberty, supposedly. I, Tony, I think it's a sober moment because I think we're standing at the edge of a decision point in which many, maybe including these senators who are supporting this, will look back years from now and say, what did I do with my support for this bill, which is unleashing havoc across the faith, uh, on the faith community across America? It's going to set in motion a series of events that, that will aim towards the marginalization of Christians from society because of their beliefs about marriage, because these are the contested issues of today, and Christians cannot do anything but stand on them, and yet we're seeing Republicans side with Democrats in marginalizing these believers. This is a sad moment, but we must do everything we can to call attention to what's happening and light the way forward. The, the only aspect of that that I would disagree with, uh, Travis, is I don't think we'll have to wait years. I think it's, uh, I think it's a matter of months, uh, and we will see the fruit of this decision. Uh, but as you've pointed out, regardless, you know, we have an obligation to speak truth, to stand for truth, to live out that truth. And so our obedience to God does not, is not determined by whether or not we live in a receptive environment. As Christians, we're called to follow Jesus. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And Jesus has made very clear what marriage is, what human sexuality is about, and we have to walk in that truth. Travis, always great to see you. Thanks Thank you. so much for uh, joining us. Thank you. And folks, I do invite you to join us uh, tonight as we uh, will have the finality of the Senate decision. Again, it will go over to the House after uh, tonight. But we will be having our Pray Vote Stand uh, broadcast tonight, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org. Stick around. We're coming back with more after this. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. 
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, let me remind you, this evening, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's 30 minutes uh, later than normal to accommodate uh, the uh, Senate vote as we wait to see what happens there. We will be having our Pray Vote Stand broadcast. So join us, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, PrayVoteStand.org. Now, I will say the uh, disappointing actions of the Senate to assault the institution of marriage may leave some Christians struggling with how to react. It is clear the left wants to drive Christians from the public's fear. So, you know, why engage? Why not just uh, acquiesce, go away, and um, let them be happy. Let them have it. Well, I don't think we can do that. And our next guest has written eloquently on issues such as this, providing clarity for Christians on how we must continue to engage, to be salt and to be light. And you can find a link to his latest article at TonyPerkins.com. Joining me now is Carl Truman, professor at Grove City College, a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and the author of The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, an excellent book. Uh, Dr. Truman, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to be on, Tony. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, you know, you say that the kind of the lines of separation are being brought forward with great clarity. When you see this uh, redefinition of marriage and you see some evangelical elites saying, ah, it's, it's not a problem. We're okay with it. Well, you see Orthodox Bible-believing Christians saying, this is a problem. Yes, I, I think that the, the issue of human sexuality in general and marriage in particular is really sharpening the kind of lines that the, that are emerging in the, the Protestant and the evangelical world at the moment. And the, the Respect for Marriage Act is providing a, an interesting uh, example of exactly what is going on there, the fact that it's actually receiving res uh, support from uh, many evangelical uh, leaders and is also receiving re support from what one would have hoped would be conservative members of Congress is indicative of the times in which we're living. So what's driving that? I mean, look, you, we, we can read we can read the text of the bill. And one of the reasons I have you on the program is because I, I thought your book, The Rise and Triumph of Modern Self, was 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 well done. And you clearly have studied this issue of human sexuality and, you know, the exaltation of self. And so you, you get the connection here and you see where this leads. Is it 
a proper reading of this bill and of the movement here that this is a threat to religious liberty when we talk about the ability to live out your faith, not just to hold a belief in your head, but actually to live by those beliefs. I think it is. I mean, there are a number of ways one could read the bill. Uh, section six, I think, is the is the one that provides the, the religious liberty protections. And if you read that section, it's very clear that it provides a certain amount of protection for religious not-for-profit organizations. I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to provide no protection whatsoever for individual Christians who might be, say, you know, run a, a cake bakers or a florist or, or something like that relative to their conscience and providing goods and services for marriage. So in many ways, it's, you know, one can welcome the protections, I guess, for formal religious organizations as, as something, you know, we get something from this bill, if you like. But really, I think what it does is it effectively codifies uh, the status quo that we've seen over the last few years, where the lives of individual Christian uh, businessmen and women can be made very, very difficult. And if this is as good as we can ever get, then I wonder how strong the provision protecting uh, religious organizations will prove to be in the long run. That's just a matter of separation. You 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 pull out the institutions now because they have the money and the influence, and you go after the individual. Which, by the way, the First Amendment is for individuals. It's not uh, for institutions. It's it 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 accedes to institutions collectively as individuals gather. Um, but it's just a matter of time before they come after those institutions who set back and did not use their influence to stop this bad piece of legislation. I've seen this happen time and time again. But I, I want to go, Dr. Uh, Truman, to the issue of the what you call the cultural elites. And I'm not the, the evangelical elites. Why are they going along with this? Why would they agree to this? Well, I think in some ways, I don't want to sound like too much of a Marxist on your program, Tony, but in some ways, I think there's a class issue here. Uh, the evangelical elites, many of the people who are the, the public figures in evangelicalism, particularly we might call the, the freelance evangelical leaders, people such as David French, they belong to a certain class. And that class in wider society has not only capitulated to uh, the sexual revolution, but by and large affirms it. And I think many of the, the the members of this informal evangelical leadership that belong to this elite class now have to make a choice. Uh, do they wish to continue to belong to the class or are they willing to take a hard stand? And I think the evidence is, is, is beginning to emerge relative to various individuals as to where they're going to stand on this. Dr. Albert Muller at the Southern Baptist Seminary, who I would say belongs to that kind of intellectual elite class, is very clearly willing to sacrifice his position there in order to stand for the truth on this. Others, not so much. And of course, the problem with, with David French was not so much uh, that he, he argued that this uh, bill was, hey, it's a compromise, it's the best we can get. He introduced the language of, of it being just and, and made it an issue of justice. Uh, that this this compromise is not something that is just us grabbing hold of the last bits that are available to us. This is an issue of justice for those in gay marriages. And that's a very, very interesting move. That's beyond the, hey, gay marriage is here to stay. Let's take what we can get of religious protections. That's moving definitely in the direction of affirming this thing as a public good. 
Uh, you mentioned Dr. Mueller. We had him on yesterday, had a, a very interesting conversation with, with uh, him regarding this piece of legislation. How long can you hold on to the title of evangelical but reject the teachings of Scripture? Well, that's a, in some ways, that's an interesting question. What does evangelical mean when you have these surveys showing you that, you know, half of evangelicals or whatever don't believe in the resurrection or something like that? I think it often functions as a sociological term for the broadly conservative religious right without necessarily bringing in a lot of Christian Orthodox content. I, I might say, you know, how long can you profess to be a credible Christian? And, uh, and move down this line. And, and I think you've got to be very careful. When you start tinkering with the notion of human sexuality, you're starting to tinker with the notion of what it means to be human. And if you're going to abolish the human, then really your whole Christian theology has to be reconstructed and will be reconstructed along lines that don't really track with what the Bible teaches and what orthodoxy has taught. That begins to treat the Bible and the, the teaching of Scripture as nothing more than a cafeteria line, where you uh, you pick a little bit of what you like and you leave the rest behind. But th there's no way that you can sustain a relationship with the Lord. History has shown us that. The Scripture makes it abundantly clear that if we do not serve Him with our whole heart, we don't serve Him at all. Absolutely. And I think, again, you, you see here another aspect of modern Western culture that we are inherently uncomfortable with external authority. We're brought up to be consumers. We're brought up to pick and choose. Well, God is an external authority. Uh, one can't pick and choose when it comes to the Christian faith. When you try to use that model relative to your faith, uh, you end up making yourself God and you end up abandoning. Uh, any vestige of Christian orthodoxy whatsoever. I will be very interested to see where those who won't draw a line on this issue, where they will ultimately be willing to draw a line. I am not confident, I am not confident that they will be willing to draw any significant lines at all if it costs them their place in the elite class. So has human has this issue of sexuality become the modern idol of our day? I think it's a component part of it. I think the modern idol of our day is uh, immediate personal gratification and satisfaction, of which the sexual revolution is one particularly uh, dramatic manifestation. Other people get their satisfaction in other ways. I think it's, it's not so much the sexual aspect that's the, the problem, it's the worship of self and my happiness and my way that's the real problem. And that's become the idol that we bow down to that has uh, replaced the position of, of God in our society. So, so, Dr. Truman, let me ask you this question. You know, we've diagnosed the, the problem in part in the few minutes we've had together. There's a lot more to talk about. But let's talk about the way forward, because I think it's very important as Christians who believe the Bible that we seek to live by the teaching of Scripture. But increasingly, we're going to be in a culture that is hostile toward that truth. And as you said, we're going to have to choose, are we going to live by and believe the Word of God, or we are we going to acquiesce to the cultural demands of the day? How do we yes, do that? Yes, I, I think that's uh, it's a, it's a very interesting question. There's no 
one size fits all. There's no silver bullet answer to that, but I think there are a few basics there. I think it's very important that Christians are in church on a Sunday. We have to be part of a strong Christian community. We have to be under the teaching of the word. We have to be taking the sacraments together. We have to be a community. We have to support each other. Secondly, I think it's absolutely appropriate that Christians use the civil liberties that they do have and the civil rights that they do have in order to press for, for good policy. I mean, the problem with uh, demolishing marriage is ultimately it damages and harms children. Uh, and that, that's why I'm interested in these questions. I'm not interested in making gay people's marriage uh, lives a misery. I'm interested in protecting children here by protecting the institution of marriage. So we should use our civil liberties and our civil rights uh, appropriately. And we should also pray for our congressmen and our representatives. Uh, it's hard, I think, to be a faithful congressman at this point. We need to pray that the Lord will strengthen the, those he's placed above us in authority to make them wise and to do to do the wise thing. Yeah, it's interesting uh, in having a conversation uh, with uh, some of the congressmen in the House who voted for this uh, and then realized they made uh, an error. Um, one in particular told me they had talked to their pastor and their pastor said, well, you should vote for this. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we have to have, as you talk about church, attending a church, being a part of church, I think that community is absolutely essential. We've got to have that spiritual community. But we also have to have pastors and spiritual leaders that are orthodox in their teaching, and their orthopraxy matches uh, the orthodox teaching of Scripture. Absolutely. I, I think nothing has undermined the witness of the church on the issue of marriage than, for example, the easy acceptance of no-fault divorce among church mm -hmm. members. Uh, you know, that genie is out of the bottle. That's, that's 40, 50 years old now. Uh, we've been compromised on that for, for over a generation. So I think, yes, we need to, to start reasserting some basic biblical discipline and fidelity on these issues. Why should we expect the world to take us seriously on marriage when we don't take marriage seriously ourselves? So I think absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Tony. And I think that leadership begins at the top. It begins with the pastors. It begins with the elders modeling these things. Yes, and, and I, I authored the nation's first covenant marriage law back in 1997, so I've dealt with this issue back when I was in office. And, and so many pastors hesitant to speak on biblical marriage because so many people in the congregation are, are divorced. Um, but speaking of truth brings healing. It doesn't bring, I mean, this is not designed to, to create wounds or, or division, but to bring people to the, the point of freedom that comes from embracing the truth, repenting of sin if necessary, but embracing the truth. Absolutely. I think that, you know, you never lose by speaking the truth. Now, there are ways of speaking in the truth that can be harmful and damaging. We also have to pay attention to how we pastorally interact with people that may be caught in this kind of thing. But speaking the truth has to be absolutely basic. And yeah, it's, it's hard. I was a pastor. We, we had some discipline cases myself when I was a pastor. They're tough, they're hard, they're unpleasant, and nobody likes you because of them. But you have to do them because that is the task that has been placed upon you. And the reputation of Christ in public depends upon the behavior and actions of his church. And the short-term discomfort that comes from church discipline often leads to, to harmony and peace 
and the fulfillment of joy later on as people respond to that discipline. Absolutely. I mean, it's very clear. We read the book of Jude. The book of Jude makes it makes it clear that taking on those in error, there's not one size fits all. Some you deal with gently, some you deal with more bluntly. But the whole point is to try to win people back. Right. Dr. Carl Truman, I could talk to you all night, uh, but we're out of time. And I want to thank you for joining us. And again, um, I just appreciate your voice of clarity that is out there. And uh, thanks for being a part of Washington Watch today. Pleasure to be on. Thanks very much. All right. And folks, again, uh, the, the Senate is voting on the bill right now. We'll be uh, giving you an update tonight at Pray Vote Stand our broadcast at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, PrayVoteStand.org, and also the Capital Switchboard number 202-224-3121, so you can t- contact your congressman and encourage them to vote against this when it comes over to, this, to the House. Again, that's 202-224-3121. Tune in tonight for PrayVoteStand, PrayVoteStand.org. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 